We saw last week the somewhat mysterious brief narrative at the end of Parakei. Sukkim, Yud Gimel, Yud Dalad, Tesvav. We saw that Yoshua was in Yericho. wasn't clear exactly what that meant because they hadn't actually conquered Yericho. Yericho was still barred against uh, the enemy, but he was in Yericho. We said he was, simple shot is he was in the outskirts of Yericho. <coughs> that Yoshua looked up and he saw there was a man standing opposite him with a drawn sword Yeshua approached him and he said are you with us or are you with our, with our enemies and he said uh, not what you think rather I am an angel I'm a, I'm a lord of the, the host of the captain of the host of the lord Yeshua bowed down and he said what, what are your instructions and and the, <laughs> the figure said, this, this heavenly figure said to Yeshua, take off your shoes, it's holy ground. But yes, Yeshua came, and Yeshua did so. Very, very mysterious. What did this figure want? He doesn't seem to have conveyed much of a message. He just said, I'm coming now. For what purpose? He just told him, take off your shoes, and not, not much of a further conversation. <coughs> so we, we discussed various perspectives on this story last week. Just to continue first, something I, we mentioned last week, we mentioned that the Gemara in Megillah and Sanhedrin, the Gemara asked a question, how could Yeshua hail this figure and say, and say how, could he, uh, how could he prostrate himself before him? Maybe this person was a shade, maybe he was a demonic impersonator. So it says that he... Uh, that he said the shame Hashem, that, that he said, once he said Hashem's name, a demon, a shade, would not invoke the name of God uh, like this, so he knew that he must have been telling the truth. So we, we mentioned, Tosa says that this concern for demons only applies when you encounter figures in wilderness areas, the demons don't frequent inhabited areas. There's also, I think we mentioned this last week, just to amplify on this a little bit, to elaborate on this a little bit, we mentioned that Rambam does not believe in demons. Maimonides was a philosopher, was a rationalist. Maimonides does not believe in demons. So, the Talmud is full of discussions of demons, often in a agadic, often in a, a narrative or a non-halachic context, but sometimes in a halachic context as well. Sometimes there are various halachas that the Gemara explains based on demons. And the Rambam scrupulously avoids all mention of demons in his halachic codes, in any of his work, certainly in his halachic codes, any halacha that the Gemara says based on demons, Rambam manages to avoid. He skips, he rephrases, he, 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 he somehow manages to codify the halacha in such a way that there's no mention of demons. So, particularly notably, there are two Gemaras that mention critical halachas that, that are based on the existence of demons. They both have to do with the laws of marriage. One of them is the Gemara in Gittin. The Gemara says... That if you, if you pass by a pit and somebody apparently is stuck in the pit and it's dark and you can't make out, uh, you, can't, you can't get a visual ID, and he says, my name is so-and-so, I'm stuck here, I'm going to die here, I, I can't get out, on, I can't get out, and just please write a get for my wife, so she should, if you don't write a get, she can, it can be a problem of Yibum, she can be stuck having to do chalitza with his brothers, so please write a get for my wife, you know, you may not know what happens to me, I'm, I'm stuck here, but I want my wife to be free. 
to write a get, you can do it. He, he can delegate the, the job of writing a get to the sofer or the him like we do today, and you can accept his charge. The Gemara says maybe he's a demonic impersonator. If you can't really see him, you can't recognize him. Maybe he's a mischievous, troublemaking demon. So the Gemara says you have to see a certain kind of shadow. Not a, re- a regular shadow even demons have. There's something called a shadow of a shadow, a secondary shadow, maybe a kind of penumbra according to some commentaries. But uh, there's a certain kind of shadow that uh, demons don't cast, and if you see that shadow, you know he's not a demon. Uh, in Dracula, we mentioned that there's such an idea that demons don't, 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 don't cast reflections. Undead vampires don't cast reflections in mirrors. This is an old idea, apparently, that demons, even though they look somewhat human, but, but they have different rules when it comes to shadows and reflections. So the Talmud says you can't, you can't assume he's human and, and, and authorize the writing of the get until you verify his, his human status by looking for the, the special kind of shadow. Rambam omits any mention. Rambam just says, you see a person in a, in a pit, he says, write a get for my wife, you can do it. Doesn't mention anything about shadows, doesn't mention anything about demons, ignores that discussion. Similarly, in Yavamas, where it discusses the, the, a man who's dying, and he says, my name is so-and-so, I'm mortally wounded, I'm, I, I don't have more than a brief period of time to live, I'm letting you know so my wife can remarry. Again, you don't get close enough to get a good visual ID, but you're relying on the person just telling you, this is, this is so-and-so and I'm dying and I'm, I'm not long for this world. So the mission says you can, you can let his wife remarry. So the Gemara says, well, maybe it's a demonic impersonator who's claiming to be that person. So the Gemara says, again, you see the shadow or the shadow of the shadow. Once again, Rambam omits any mention of that. Rambam just says that if you see a, that if a person says, a person calls out and says, I'm so-and-so and I'm dying, you can accept that, you can let his wife remarry. No need to worry about demons, no, no concerns for shadows or reflections or anything. Just uh, Rambam omits any mention of demons. So the early commentaries try to find reasons why the Rambam left, without acknowledging he didn't believe in demons, they try to find reasons why he would have left out that portion of the discussion. One of the reasons they give is because the Gemara goes on. The Gemara, in both places, the Gemara goes on. The Gemara says, forget demonic impersonators. Maybe it's a human impersonator. Maybe it's uh, another wife of this man who's out to, get, who's out to entrap and, and trick her, her other wife into remarrying and getting her in trouble. Maybe it's a human enemy, in other words. A demon's not the only person who, are, who make trouble and impersonate people and, 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 and try to make mischief. So the Gemara says, well, okay, you don't have to worry about that because it's a, it's a desperate situation. You have no recourse. We don't have the luxury of being concerned for every, for every possibility, so we just rely on trust that, 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 he's, the, that he's authentic. But some say the Rambam understood that takes care of the concern for demons as well. But once the Gemara reaches that conclusion, that it's a shasat chak, that it's a difficult and dangerous situation, we have no choice, we don't worry about demons either. But, but uh, so that's why the Rambam didn't, didn't bring the discussion of demons. But later authorities said the real reason is Ram didn't believe in demons. The Ratzvi Hershchayas, the Maratzchayas, as well as the Marsham, Rav Shalom Mordechai Cohen of Rajan, and Rav Yosef Shalom Nathanson, a number of great poskim of the 19th century, finally acknowledged that, yeah, the, Ram, the reason Ram didn't, didn't bring the Gemaras about demons is because he didn't believe in demons. So therefore, he had to rewrite the halacha in such a way that makes no mention of demons. Similarly, the Gemara in Chagiga, when it discusses mental illness, mental illness is a crucially important topic in halacha, like in any legal system. If someone is mentally incompetent, then agreements he makes, documents he executes are not valid. 
So we have to have a definition, we have to have a diagnostic procedure for mental illness. There's actually a very interesting and rich literature in halacha on mental illness, on, on, on what symptoms are problems and how we define mental illness and so on. So the Gemara itself begins by, by giving various symptoms of mental illness. And the Gemara's, the Gemara's symptoms seem to involve, again, demons and the paranormal. It says that people who, it seems to, it seems to imply that, the, that it seems to bring in notions of demonic possession into the Gemaras of mental illness, the Rambam skips the whole Gemara. The Rambam omits all those discussions of, <coughs> of behaviors and symptoms that seem to involve mental illness and just says, oh, mental illness is defined by people who act in ways that uh, that are not compatible with uh, sound mind, people who act in ways that are, that are, that are symptomatic of, of a deranged mind. And he omits the Gemara's particular examples of cemeteries and so on, which seem to involve uh, demons and demonic possession. So Rav Nathanson says that I'll, I'll tell you the secret, you know, the, the Rambam is being cagey here, but the real answer is the Rambam didn't believe in demons. So, so any Gemara which involves demons, the Rambam has to find some way of, uh, some way of rewriting the halacha to, to be a more kind of modern, more uh, scientific version of the Gemara without mentioning demons. He said the Rambam had respect for Chazal and then didn't want to say straight out, I don't believe in demons because the Gemara seems to have believed in them. But uh, the Rambam just carefully, uh, subtly reworded the halachas to avoid any mention of demons. Well, one of the most uh, shocking applications of this is a, is a letter of the Marsham. Shalom Mordechai Cohen of Rajan was one of the great postkim of the 19th century. So someone asked him once, what, one of the most beloved and iconic customs of Jewish observance is eating the simanim, particularly the apple and honey on Rosh Hashanah. Probably many American Jews who, who do very little of Torah observance, the apple and honey is a kind of an iconic, uh, an iconic uh, ritual that people do. So the Rambam omits, uh, that goes back to the Gemara. The Gemara doesn't give the example of the apple, but the Gemara gives other examples of foods that we do on Rosh Hashanah that have symbolic and uh, asp- that they symbolize our aspirations for, for being better people and for, and for God uh, showing us favor and having, giving us a good year. Apple is sweet, it's one popular one here, but you know, the Gemara has other examples of different vegetables, vegetables and foods that we eat. Many people eat them still today. So the Rambam leaves out that whole discussion. The Rambam in his code of, of Jewish law leaves out the Simanim of Rosh Hashanah. So why? So the Marsham says, because Simanim, Simanim sounds like a superstition. It sounds like by, we can somehow, by eating foods, we can assure ourselves of a good year. And the Ram didn't like superstitions. The Ram didn't like anything that smacked of the, the paranormal, that, that, that wasn't a rationalistic, logical, scientific uh, process. And therefore, he left it out. Marsham says, of course, we accept Chazal. We're more traditional. If Chazal thought it was a good idea, we recommend it as well. And, and, and there are those who understood the Simanim in a much more rationalistic way as well. The Meiri, Rabbi Menachem Meiri, who was a follower of the Rambam, he says, of course, the Simanim are not about superstition. We're not hoping that superstitiously we'll have a good year. They're meant to remind us of the need to do tshuva and the need to improve ourselves. For example, we eat certain foods, we say... The, the, the foods we eat are often plays on words. The, the name of the fruit, the name of the food in Aramaic or Hebrew or even Yiddish sometimes, some people do it in English, has a kind of pun or play on words to, to have some positive... Right, so, so, so Lewis is saying that one of, the, one of the foods in Europe that you see in America is carrots, which are, which, which are merin or merilach. So that, that was the Yiddish word for carrot, I think, and merin also means to increase, to, to expand. So we, we eat carrots, and symbolically that we should have more, more good, more, 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 you know, more income, more good, more, more divine favor. 
and you know, we eat uh, we eat dates, for example, tzmarim. Tomorrow, our dates in Hebrew, we eat tamusoneinu, that, uh, that they, our, our enemy should be terminated and ended, because the, the word tam, tough mem in Hebrew, can mean to end or to conclude. So the Mewi says, we're not referring to our enemies, the terrorists, or the anti Semites. He says, we, we, on Rosh Hashanah, we're worrying about us. We let God worry about our enemies. He says, so who are the true enemies of a person? What? The Averis, yes. The, the sins are our true enemies. It's an aspiration. We should improve and we should do better. And our sins and our, our bad behavior should come to an end. It's a reminder to do tshuva for self-improvement. Okay, so that, that's a kind of more philosophical explanation of the Simanim, a more rationalistic explanation. But Marsham said the reason the Rambam left out the Simanim was because the Rambam has this, uh, has this commitment to avoid codifying anything which has a a paranormal, uh, superstitious element. Now, of course, the Rambam, the Rambam agreed in divine miracles and Kriyat Yamsuf, the splitting of the Yardin. The Rambam certainly agreed, as we understand the Rambam, to, that God sometimes makes miracles. So the, 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 the Rambam wasn't an atheist. The Rambam believed that God runs the world. But those were a few and exceptional circumstances where God makes miracles, but the day-to-day, the day-to-day operation of the world, the Rambam believed, was followed much much more consistently the laws of nature. We don't live in the Rambam believed that we don't live in a world full of demons and magic and sorcery and superstition. So, so except for the the Nisim of the Bible, which were few and limited, and as we've discussed, the Rambam tended to avoid any other supernatural. Yes. Could, you, could you mention in terms of like dealing with mental issues today? Right. So is is there is there like a paradigm that is you know holistically based, but also makes use of all the scientific and medical you know most recent uh, information? Right. So, so so the question is how does practical halacha in, in, in the modern day? <laughs> how does practical halacha deal with with categories like mental illness? I, I'm not so familiar with the literature. As I said, historically. Historically, if you read the, the Rathansa literature, for example, you read all kinds of very vivid case studies of people which you, you can almost see the, the, what the modern scientific diagnosis would be, like paranoia or depression. Like somebody was so, uh, was so just, just uninterested in the world, he couldn't get out of bed, he, he wouldn't eat, he wouldn't do anything. You know, that smacks of like clinical depression or something like that. We find paranoia, a person who wouldn't eat anything, he thought everyone was trying to poison him, and he thought everyone was... Uh, so we find, certainly we find the, 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 the case studies seem like modern, like modern cases. Whether the treatments, yeah, how much the treatments invoke the modern, uh, how, how much the, the analysis and the actual uh, halachic perspectives reflect modern attitudes toward mental illness. I don't actually know. I'm not so familiar with the latest literature. What, one related point, which I'll mention, and this is very interesting also, is that Chazal in, uh, in, in traditional halacha, someone who was a deaf mute, who couldn't speak and couldn't hear, was considered to be mentally incompetent. The Chere, Shot, and Katam, Chazal often lists as a trio, as three people who are considered to lack sound mind, is the Shota, someone who is mentally ill, the Katan, someone who is a minor and therefore halakhally presumed to not have uh, sufficient uh, mental capacity, and, and someone who can't hear, the Chere, someone who can't hear, he was considered to be also lacking mental capacity. Beginning in the 19th century, where, 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 they, where they began to develop uh, modern schools for the deaf, where, 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 they, where, they, where they developed ways to teach them, to communicate with them, whether sign language or, or, or other, types of, other types of modalities for communicating with the deaf, whether hearing aids of various sorts. So beginning in the 19th century, where, where, where society realized that, that it didn't have to write off the deaf as being, 
you know, outside the human uh, condition. Uh, they realized there were ways to reach the deaf and to, to teach them and communicate with them. So there, there, there was a major halakhic literature which, which, which grappled with the question of should we revise major areas of halacha which said that the cherish is not, uh, is not mentally competent. Since, since today things are different and today we, today we understand things differently, should we revise the halacha? Many postkim said yes. Many, many postkim said that, since, that the halacha here is ultimately based on the facts and as the science changes and our ability to communicate with them changes, the halacha changes as well. There, there was a major school of thought that said, and I think that's the, the dominant school of thought to some extent today, is that yes, that, that today the, the technology has changed and the understanding has changed and today the halacha follows that as well. So I imagine that there's similar things being done with mental illness, although again, I'm not, not so, so well versed in the latest literature on the topic. Cheri, Shoten, Katan. So a Katan is a minor and someone before Bar Mitzvah. Mitzvah. A shota or a shota is someone with, we would describe as certain types of mental illness so that, that, his, that his brain is not functioning the way it should. And, and a cherish is someone who can't hear. And, uh, someone who can't hear is, uh, right, so those are the three. In, in many places in, in Talmud, in Mishnah and Talmud, in many places you find those listed together to the point that there's a standard abbreviation for it. Ches, Shin, Vav is, uh, is a standard abbreviation for this trio of Ches for Cheres, Shin for Shota, and uh, Kuf or Vav and uh, Vikata and, uh, and a minor. Right. So the so so so, so he's referring to in my in, in, in my parsha share last week, parsha mishpatim. I spoke about the halacha that a cheri shota vikatan that trio again. If they damage something, if they do, if they commit a tort, if they damage property, so they are not liable because because they all have diminished or mental capacity. They have no personal liability for their actions. So the question is, again, would the halachas of cheresh or shot that change today? So again, they might. But based on the understanding, certainly, of cheresh, that we treat cheresh differently for other purposes, we, 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 might, we might treat cheresh differently there as well. Again, I'm not, I'm not up on the, all the literature, but potentially, yes, potentially the halacha could, would, would have to, might evolve as well. So that's a discussion of shade. There's, uh, there's, a very, there's an interesting discussion. So again, putting aside the Rambam, the, the traditional view which accepts the notion of the existence of Shadim and says that the, and says that the, the Shadim exist, we have, to, we have to eliminate the possibility that they're impersonating somebody if we can't get a clear visual ID. So the, so the, so the, the Chassam Sofer ruled that if you get a letter one of the places this comes up is the laws of Agunah. If we want to establish that a husband is dead and we have to find evidence, testimony, if you get a letter, he says, so, again, we can't verify for sure who wrote the letter. Maybe the letter was written by a demonic impersonator, he says. So you have to know where the letter came from. If it came from a wilderness area, it could have been a demon, he says. If it came from a uh, civilized area, we don't worry about that. And one later authority actually sends us to the phone. He says, if you get a phone call, you, know, you can get caller ID, I guess, but it, that's not foolproof. You can spoof it. So he says, if you, uh, this before they had caller ID, he says, he, he says if, you, if you get a phone call, I'm not sure if it was before or after caller ID, but one of the earlier authorities said, 
if you get a phone call and, and, and you can't you know, verify the other party, he says you have to be concerned. It could be a demonic impersonator. So unless you have uh, some kind of proof, some kind of evidence that it, unless you know the call originates in a civilized area where there are no demons, he says, you actually have to be concerned. So again, uh, as a matter of halacha, I'm not sure what most poskim would say today, whether you, have to, whether you have to worry about demons or not. I actually heard a share once when I was learning the, the, the halachas of Gittin, where somebody with a, a, a distinguished halachic expert on, 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 these, on these halachas mentioned the halacha of uh, the concern for demonic impersonators. So we said something like, like of course, like, realistically, we're not concerned with that, are we? He said, oh, we are. He says, yeah, they, they, he knows cases where there were cities that were infested by demons. So, so, so there are, there are rabbis who still do accept that demons exist and that it's a real concern. Others might, might be less so. But anyway, so that, 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 that's an old, as I said, an old argument going back nearly a thousand years in Judaism between the more philosophically minded thinkers who rejected the existence of demons and the more traditional thinkers who accepted the apparent uh, simple readings of all the many passages in the Talmud that the Talmud did actually believe in demons. In the same vein, we're talking about rationalistic explanation of the rationalistic explanation of the, of, of the, of the, of the, of the world, a rationalistic approach to the world. Ralbag has a fascinating approach to this parsha. Ralbag was one of the was the arch rationalist. He was he was he was the greatest. He was the most extreme and the greatest of the of the rationalistic medieval thinkers. Rambam was it was ultimately a more important and uh, more authoritative figure. But the Ralbag was a follower of the Rambam. The Ralbag was even more extreme. The Ralbag tended to take things even more to their logical philosophical conclusion. So the Ralbag the Ralbag understands. That this episode of the of the Sartzva, of the Sartzva Hashem, that this this heavenly apparition that came to Yeshua. So again, the simple reading of the text. One of the many problems with the text is that <coughs> he doesn't seem to have had much of a message for Yeshua. He just said, "I'm I'm not a person. I'm a Sartzva Hashem. Atabasi. I'm coming now." And Yeshua asked him, "What's your message?" What, what, what do you have to tell me? And he said, he, he, he reiterated, "I'm a Sartzva Hashem. Take off your shoes." And that was it. So, so what, what was the message? Why did he come? What was his point? Yeah, so Simcha says he came to tell him to take off his shoes, but, but that's a little bit circular. It, it was only after he came, and that the, the, it, was, it was his appearance that made, that made the area holy, because a divine uh, emissary had appeared. And that's why he took off his shoes. Had he not come, there wouldn't have been any need to take off his shoes. So why was he coming? What, what, was, the, what was the point of his message? So the Radak, the, the Radak explains... Also, the Radak often Radak had, had, had a lot of respect for Chazal and, and, and was reluctant to uh, to deviate too far from Chazal. Although in this case, we'll see he did. But the Radak understands that that this that this Sartzva Hashem, for the purpose of his coming, he says right, he says like I told Simcha, he says that the place became holy because he came, because he was so holy. His appearance made the place holy, and he says that the he says that that, that the reason that he came is that. The reason that he came, he says, is to is to increase the morale of Yeshua and the Jewish people. He said, "Ani Malach Hashem," and he said, he said that the I'm looking for the exact quote. He said. Right, the, the, the Radak says back on Pasuk, back in the first Pasuk, Pasuk Yud Gimel, he says that, he says, the Malach appeared in human form with a drawn sword, 
it, the, the drawn sword was a symbol of strength, of vura, and itzach, and victory. You know, the, 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 the common image in art, and uh, a drawn sword shows power and shows shows might, military might, and it's a symbol of victory. And he says that the, the, the this Malach that appeared to Yeshua was similar to the Malach that appeared to Yaakov. He also appeared to Yaakov by Yavik. He wrestled with Yaakov back in Pashas V'yeshlach. That also that was a symbol of fight. It was a symbol that Yaakov would be victorious. And it was, it was a message, a, a symbolic message that Yaakov would be victorious over Esav. He'd be successful. He didn't actually fight Esav, but he was, uh, he, that he would be strong, that he, that he would be okay. He came to Yeshua, he says, like a gibar, like a hero with a drawn sword. And uh, and uh, and Yeshua. That's what he said to Yeshua in the in the in the pasuk of the, the beginning of the next parak. Hashem told Yeshua, "I have given Yericho into your hands." That's Malka. So the Radak already is, is, I think, hinting or, or implying what the Ralbag says in more detail that, that that the message of the Malach was initially shown by the drawn sword, and it's made more explicit in the next parak in Parak Vav. That Hashem told Yeshua, see, I have given Yericho into your hand, you're going to destroy it, you're going to be victorious, Yericho might look like an impregnable city, it might look like an, a, a, a difficult and impossible target, but uh, behold, I have given the city into your hands. So the Radak is suggesting that, that, that the, the Nebuah which appears in words, in, in words in the beginning of Perak Vav, that's what the Malach was symbolizing by, by holding a drawn sword. And the Ralbag takes this even further, the Ralbag makes this even more clear, he says that well, Bag follows the Rambam. Malachim are, are spiritual entities. Malachim do not have physical bodies. Just like God has no physical body, a Malach does not have a physical body. So all the places in the story where the Torah, all the places in the Torah where the, where the Torah describes a Malach appearing in human form, they're all dreams or visions. The Malachim do not appear in human form. That, that was the opinion of the Rambam, and that was that's the opinion of the Ralbag. So, for example, Parshas Vayera. Avram is sitting in the, at the door of his tent, entrance of his tent, and he sees three people, who it turns out were Malachim we see later in the story of Lot and Sodom, and he invites them in, and he feeds them, and they tell him he's going to have a child in a year from now. Then they travel to Sodom, and then they, 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 and Lot takes them in, and the mob tries to, uh, tries to assault them, and they, and they defend Lot, and then they rescue Lot, they take him out of the city, and then they destroy Sodom. According to the Rambam, that entire thing is not a narrative of actual events. That entire thing was a vision that, the, that Avram saw in his dream, in his prophetic dream. The, the, the Pasha begins, Pasha is Vayera, it begins with the word Vayera, Vayera la Hashem, Hashem appeared to Avram, Everything else in the Pasha for the next several dozen Sukkim are the details of his, of his vision. And what was the vision that he saw? He saw that there were three people who appeared in a dream to him and spoke to him and they went to Stone. The entire narrative until the end of the destruction of Stone is all a vision. The Mepharshim asked, Ramban discusses this at length, so what happened to Stone? What happened to Lot? So they say, he says, the, the Mepharshim explained the Rambam. Lot, Stone actually was destroyed. Hashem did bring some kind of natural disaster to destroy Sodom. Sodom was in need of being uh, wiped out and uh, it was a cancer on, uh, on human civilization. So Hashem did need to destroy, to, dis- to destroy Sodom. But the actual details with three malachim and taking out Lot with, uh, and uh, all, all, those, all those vivid details were part, of, were part of a vision that Avram saw. They were a kind of... Uh, they, they, they were a kind of... Poet, uh, well, more than, hallucination implies a fiction. This was not fiction. This was a divine vision, like a, a prophetic... Uh, divinely inspired vision, but in a sense, hallucination in the sense that they, they weren't actual events occurring in the real world, they were, uh, they, they, were, they were a prophetic metaphor for 
what needed to happen, what Hashem was going to do, what, 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 what it, some version of it actually happened. The dome was destroyed in some natural disaster brought about by Hashem, but, uh, but, but the vision of Ramsor was showing him what, what, what was supposed to happen. What would right, so, so Simcha is raising important questions. How much of the story actually happened? How much didn't? Did Lot's wife turn into salt? The, the Ralbach himself actually explains that when it says Lot's wife turned into salt, it meant that she didn't turn into an actual pillar. The Ralbach says what it meant was that it says don't look around, don't look behind you. It means don't tarry, don't, uh, don't rubberneck, don't, don't stay behind to see what's going on. Lot's wife did, and she just didn't outrun the disaster. She, because she stayed behind to see what was happening, she got caught up in the maelstrom of destruction, and she was caught up in the general t- turning everything into salt, and she was caught there and died. The story about Lot's daughters, I think, he's, I think that did happen. He, I think he learned that that actually did happen. But I, actually, I'm confusing two things. I'm, I, I'm mixing things up here. The Ralbag believes the story did happen. There are, there are, unlike the Rambam, the Ralbag believes the story did happen. He also believes that the Rambam's problem is that Malachim don't appear in human form. So the Rambam says the whole thing was a vision. I'm not sure how he understands Lot's wife and how he understands Lot's daughters. The Rambam says the whole thing was a vision. The Ralbag over there says the whole thing actually happened in the real world. The three malachim, he says, were human beings. They were not angels. The three malachim, he, he brings a midrash that a, a navi, a navi, a prophet of God, is sometimes called a malach. Because a malach, in Hebrew, a malach really means a messenger, an emissary. The angels are called malachim because they're divine messengers to convey a message to the world. But prophets are also called malachim. We, we, we have a navi called malachi. One of the one of the treyasar, one of the twelve small levim, is called malachi. The Navi is called a Malach. So the Ralbag understands that whole story happened literally, but the three Malachim were not angel Malachim, they were human Malachim. They were Nevi'im, they were, they, they were anonymous prophets who Hashem sent to perform the miracles in that story and to communicate with Avram and Lot. But the, 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 so the Rambam and the Ralbag both agree that Malachim do not adopt human form. According to the Rambam, that, that whole story was a vision. According to the Ralbag, it was an actual event, but they were human Nevi'im, not Malachim. In other places, though, the Ralbag agrees to the Rambam that, that certain stories that were told about involve, sound like they involve Malachim in human form, actually were dreams. Notably, the story of Bilam. In the beginning of Pasha's Balak, so it says that the, that the, the, the dignitaries of Moab, of, of Balak, came to Bilam and said, please come with us and curse the Jewish people. So it says that Bilam went along with Balak. And on the road, since he got up in the morning, he went along with Balak. He went along with the dignitaries of Balak. And on the road, it says he had uh, a Malak kept appearing and his donkey kept shying away until the donkey simply refused to budge, and he, he struck his donkey, and, and, then, and then the donkey began to speak and said, why are you doing this? I, uh, the Malach said, you're, you're wrong here, had, you, had, you, had the donkey not stopped, I would have killed you. That entire story of the talking donkey is actually a very lively debate in the, in the traditional commentaries as to what exactly happened in that story, did the donkey really speak or not? So the Ralbag's interpretation of that story is that that whole thing was a vision, the whole thing was a dream. It says, it, when, when it says, Bilam got up in the morning and went with the Sarim of, of Balak, that was part of his dream. We have this sometimes in dreams. We dream that we wake up and we start, we go to work and we start doing things. That was all part of his dream. He dreamed that he had gotten up and he started traveling to Moab. And in his dream, the, his donkey began to behave in a strange way. And, uh, and, and he struck his donkey and then the donkey started talking. That was all part of his dream. Until it says at the end of that story, it says, and then he, he continued to go with Sarim Moab. 
that was where the Torah reverts to describe what actually happened and the rest of the Pasha with the curses that actually happened the blessings and the curses that actually happened but until then that, that, that section two or three Elias in the beginning of the Pasha from when it says he woke up until, he, until after the donkey finished speaking that story all happened in a dream so this is the sheet of the Rambam and the Ralbag that Malachim never appear in human form if you, if you find a Malach that seems to be adopting human form and walking around and talking to people there's one of two possibilities either Malachir means Navi like Ralbag says in Pasha's Vayera that it means a human Navi not, a, not an angel Malach or or it was a vision, like the Rambam explains Vayera, and like the Ralbag explains by the Parsha of Bala. So our story, where this Malach appeared to Yeshua, so the Ralbag says, this story was a vision. It was not an actual apparition that, that, that walked and, and approached Yeshua. This story is describing a vision Yeshua had. It says, it's, it's implausible that a Malach would appear in human form, where a person's senses are operating normally, he says, and that's how he explains the language. It says, Yeshua was in Yericho. It says, Vahi biyos Yeshua biyericho. Pasuk Gimel says, Yeshua was in Yericho. He said, what do you mean he was in Yericho? Yericho was sealed shut. It was hermetically sealed against invaders. Well, Bag says it means, it doesn't mean he was in Yericho. It means he was preoccupied with Yericho. Biyos Yeshua biyericho. He was thinking about Yericho. He was, he, he, was, he, he, he was occupied with Yericho. And he had a vision in which he saw, the, the, in which he saw this Malach. The Malach obviously had martial symbolism. It was carrying a sword, a drawn sword. And he said, and what was the message of the Nevoah? So the Ralbag says, like the so the Ralbag says, like the Radak, and in more detail, he says, he says, when the Malach told him to take off your shoes, he understood it was a Nevoah. He realized he was he was having a prophetic vision. And uh, what was the Nevoah? So the next parak, parak vav, pasuk aleph begins. Yericho sogeres umisugeres if pnei bnei Yisrael. Yericho was sealed shut against the invasion of the Jews. Ein yotiv ein ba. And then Hashem told Yeshua, "Behold, I have see, I have, I have given the city into your hands." That was the nevuah. It, it, the Torah interjects, Yericho was sealed shut, so it seemed like a tough nut to crack. It seemed like it would be difficult getting inside, and that was the nevuah. The Malach came to Yeshua, and the nevuah was the Malach told him. The Malach told him that the that the that that the that, that, that the Malach told him that the, 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 the Nevuah itself is the one beginning in Perik Vav Pasuk Beis. Hashem told Yeshua, "See, I have given the city into your hands. You, you, here are your instructions. You're going to surround the city and march around it, and uh, and you're going to have show for us. We'll, we'll read about that in the next Perik. All that was the Nevuah. The Torah just interjects. Yericho was sealed shut, and that's why there was a need for a special." special nevuah and a special procedure to, to conquer it. So according to the, the, the Radak and to a greater extent the Ralbag, the, the actual nevuah of this Malach was the psukim we're going to read in the beginning of Perik Vav about how the Jews would overcome Yericho's defenses. And the Malach was, was sent to Yeshua to either to just inspire him like the Radak says and to assure him that they would win or even more like, like the following psukim say, like the Ralbag elaborates that the Radak himself indicates this. He says that that he says, Yeshua. This was in the Vua that Hashem told Yeshua. I have given Yericho and its kingdom to your hands, and this is the. Sorry. He gives a battle plan. Yes, he gives him a detailed battle plan of how you exactly how you're going to overcome the breach the walls and overcome Yericho and destroy it and conquer it. Yeah, that was the battle plan. So according to the according to the Radak and the Ralbag, this was the Nevuah. The Nevuah was the the story that we. The, 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 the instructions uh, for, for, for how the Jews were going to go about conquering Yericho. So again, this is all based on the shita of the 
on, on the sheet of the of the Ralbag and the Rambam that Malachim do not appear in, in physical human form, either in a vision or they're actually human. As I mentioned, Pashas Vayera, the Ralbag says they were human Nevi'im, Rambam says it was a vision. The story of Jacob wrestling the angel by, by Yavik Yishimo, beginning of Pashas Vayishlach, there Rambam and Ralbag both agree that it was a vision, that it, there was a prophetic vision. The, when the Rambam says it was a vision, so the Ramban, again, the Ramban has many questions and many objections to the Rambam's approach, so among his questions are, it says that when in the morning Yaakov was limping, and it says that we don't need to get anusha, we don't need the sciatic nerve, because as, as an allusion to that great event, why was he limping if it was all a dream? So the, the Ralbag has a, a real tour de force, his explanation of that story. Ralbag has a couple of explanations for why he was limping if the whole thing was a vision. One shot he says is that is that our our Rabbi explains that it was a combination of nevuah, prophetic vision, plus what Yaakov was actually thinking about that his actual thoughts during the day and his worries about the the confrontation with Asaph and so on. So, but it, but there were elements of nevuah as well. So one approach that Rabbi takes is that a person's limbs, a person's physical actions while he's sleeping can sometimes reflect what he's dreaming about. If a person dreams and he's fighting, he says he can thrash around in his sleep as in the, because he's thinking about struggle and, and force and fighting. So in, in his dream, he can, in his sleep, he can thrash around. So he says, Yaakov, because he had a vision of wrestling with an angel, so he, he spasmed or he thrashed around in his sleep, and that's how he dislocated his, uh, his, his, his gidanasha, his, his, his kafayarech, because of the... Because his, 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 his physical movements reflected his, his vision. Or he has an approach just the opposite. He says that sometimes the, the physical sensations a person has during the, while he's sleeping can influence his dreams. He says if you pour cold water on somebody while he's sleeping, if he doesn't wake up, then he may dream that he's in a snowstorm, or he may dream that he's uh, crossing a river. So he says... Yaakov may have injured his, his leg all day he was engaged in manual labor he was ferrying all his possessions across the river it says he, he, he carried all his stuff across the river so Yaakov may have actually dislocated something during all his hard work during the day and while he was sleeping he, he felt the pain and because he felt pain he dreamed he was fighting and he, and he dreamed that he was wrestling with uh, so, so, so the Ralbag, the Ralbag puts all these different ideas together, and he says, of course, there was a prophetic element to the dream, or else we wouldn't bother making a big deal out of it. But because the dream involved uh, the dream, the, the prophetic aspect of the dream, it was showing Yaakov either that he would be victorious over over Esav, or I think the Ralbag explains it was showing him that he was in his wrestling with an angel that shows how close he was to the angel. He was on the same level as the angel. He was cleaving to the angel. So there was a prophetic element to the dream as well. But because the dream as a whole was... was, was, was he, he also suggests that maybe he, was, maybe he was dreaming about fighting because all day he was dreaming about... All day he was thinking about the confrontation with Esav. So he thought about... He was thinking about fighting and struggle all day. So dreams often reflect what a person thinks about. Because I'll mention this also. Dreams reflect... Some, some commentaries say that that's why jo- Joseph's brothers were angry at him when he recounted his dream, that he would have mastery over them. Why is it his fault if he dreams, uh, if he dreams that? Some explained because they said to him, if this is what you're dreaming about, it must be what you're thinking about all day. You, you, this is not a random dream. If, you, if you're dreaming that, that you're going to be the king and we're all going to bow down to you, those must be your aspirations. You must be thinking about this all day. So the Ralbag says that the, all, all these different elements, he says, were, were, were part of Yaakov's dream. He was thinking about fighting Esau. 
he was working hard all day carrying the things, but he also had a prophetic element to the dream that, that he was close to the angel, Hashem would be with him, and so on. So because this dream had prophetic elements as well, and part of the dream involved, either as a cause or an effect, involved this dislocation of his kafayarech, of his, of his thigh, therefore we commemorate that by not even beginning on Asha, because we're commemorating, obviously, the prophetic aspect of the dream, not the mundane one, but the dream did have these mundane aspects as well. So when uh, whoever it is tells so that, that's an interesting question. So the question is, if we understand, like Roll Bag, that this entire thing was a vision and didn't actually occur in the physical world, so, so the the question is, in what what place was actually holy? He says, so he says that uh, that that well, Bag explains that when the that when the Malach told when the Malach told told Yeshua take off your shoes, he was telling him to consider carefully what's going on here, to realize this was a prophetic dream, a holy dream, and not simply idle uh, idle subconscious uh, wandering around. So, and then Yeshua indeed realized that. Ralbag, if I understand this correctly, I have to read a little more carefully. But if I understand the Ralbag correctly, he understands that there was, there was not actually any any physical place in the, in the actual world that was holy. It, it was all it was all a prophetic uh, it, it was all a prophetic message that the, the place means your, your dream, your mental context. Now think about it; it's holy, not that it's an actual geographic space that was holy, but it was. It was the Ralbag himself understands that the Moses. We mentioned that that this narrative is cl- closely parallels the one about Moses in the burning bush back in Pasha Shmos, where Moshe sees a bush burning, he approaches it to investigate. And God speaks to him and says, "Take off your shoes." Rabbach explains that too was a was a dream that was a vision that he was not actually a, he was not actually approaching an actual bush. He was, he, it was actually a uh, it was actually a vision. So again, I think the way the Rabbach understands it, there wasn't actually any geographic spatial location that was holy. It was simply a, a, a metaphorical communication that the experience you are having now is a holy one, and focus on it and and take it to heart because this is not simply a dream. This is a prophetic communication. I think that's how that works. It's happening inside your head, in other words. Yeah, it's happening inside your head, but but it's a real thing inside your head. It's not simply your subconscious manifesting itself. This is a it, right. This is a divine message, and the message was, and in, in Moshe's case, the message was, "Go take the Jews out of Egypt." In this case, the message was, "Yerichel may be impregnable to mortal armies, but but I, 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 the Lord, I'm with you, and we're going to be victorious. I'm going to be. I'm going to give grant you victory." So this it sort of makes more sense too, because he wasn't physically in Eureka, right? Right, exactly. That, 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 that as, as, as Dr. Rapp is saying, the the, the Rabag is, is 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 one of the advantages to his tradition because he was not in Eureka. So to say that he was in Eureka, we saw that, we had to, that other people had to say the outskirts of Eureka or various approaches like that. But but again, it's not. Uh, this is in a way this is a simpler approach that he was in Eureka means he was figuratively or he was and mentally he was in Eureka. That's where his mind was. His mind was in Eureka, as we say. But uh, you know, the teacher will tell a student, you're, "You're not here in my class right now." He, mean, he means your your your, your mind is. We say your mind is somewhere else. So we don't mean physically, right? Your mind is a thousand miles away. We don't mean it's literally a thousand miles away. We mean the focus, your focus, and your attention is a your focus and your attention is a million miles away. You're there, but you're not there. You're right. You're there, but you're not there. So we're going to stop here now. I think. Next week we'll 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 return at, uh, or when we meet next time we may not meet next week but the next time we meet we'll return to we'll turn to a, a final approach I think to the story and that is the approach of Chazal the Gemara in Megillah Gemara in Sanhedrin 
that this Malach was reprimanding Yeshua for, for, a, for a, a shortcoming of the people, for a failing to live up to the to serve Hashem properly, we'll discuss what the criticism was, and uh, and, and so so the, that that's a topic we'll return, we'll, we'll we'll begin with in Yerutz Hashem. Believe that's a topic we'll begin with next time we meet.